Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, three of the largest pharmaceutical companies agreed to pay New York State $1 billion to settle a lawsuit over their role in the ongoing opioid crisis. That amount is only part of what could reach a $26 billion payout by Big Pharma to states and local municipalities reeling from opioid addiction. According to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, the opioid crisis claimed nearly half a million American lives over the last two decades. And today, hundreds of thousands are in recovery from their addiction. A question I have always had is why do 12-step recovery programs include spirituality? And what does that mean as the country becomes less affiliated and aligned with organized religion? It's a reality my next guest has been thinking a lot about. Steve Lane is the president of Episcopal Recovery Ministries. It's a nationwide network of clergy and laity supporting those confronting addiction in all its forms. And the spirituality question is just one of the many his group will be diving into at their annual conference coming up in October in Nashville, Tennessee. I spoke to Pastor Lane from his home in Buffalo, New York. My work with recovery predates my ordination as a priest in the Episcopal Church. I've been a person of long-term recovery myself for uh, going on four decades. And I've been involved in recovery ministries in the church uh, for quite some time. Is it appropriate to say congratulations for the four decades of of sobriety or for being in long-term recovery? What does one say to support that? Yeah, so so congratulations is actually not the most appropriate because it, the the uh, implication in congratulations is that that the person has achieved a major milestone where it's really seen more as a gift. Ah. Um, in church speak, I would say it's the grace of God. Uh, it's something that that comes. It's not something one acquires. How should we respond when someone shares that they've hit a milestone in their recovery? Celebrate it with them. Okay. Wow, what an amazing thing that's happened. Yeah. Right? It's so personal. I mean, and I'm asking because it there are also so many stigmas that exist around addiction and recovery. And I want to be mindful of the way in which we enter into that conversation. And I think a lot of that comes out of the old-style religion that sees addiction as a moral failing rather than as a disease or something that happens to a person. They see it as a moral failing, a shortcoming. So somebody's an alcoholic and they drink too much, the sort of the knee-jerk reaction that people have is, is well, just stop drinking or stop using or behavior addictions, uh, stop gambling or stop, you know, doing internet porn, just stop and you'll be fine. Repent. And that message, one, doesn't work. And two, it's not a moral failing. It's an addiction. I'm a parent of, of teenagers and young adults. And I feel like language that I have seen 
really focuses on shifting our attention from the moral framework that you just described to understanding brain chemistry and thinking about neurology and thinking about substances that change physiologically our bodies. Does that answer the challenge of shifting us away from stigma to better understanding? So it's not just a physical ailment that can be rectified by a pill or surgery. It's not just a mental distortion that can be fixed with psychotherapy and with counseling. There's a third element that seems to be critical in recovery, and that's the spiritual element, that thing that can't be named so well. In the recovery process, can the language around spirituality be almost triggering? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a problem and it's a barrier. Over the last uh, several decades, it's become more so. Um, so the the challenge then is to learn to say things differently. Learning to use different language, different words, makes a lot of difference in terms of how it's heard. In the 12-step world, the first step is to admit that you can't do it alone. And by yourself, you're not going to get there. And the second step is to come into a relationship with something other than self. That's where the spiritual comes in. The spiritual framework that you're describing, can it be challenging for those who identify as atheist or non-deistic in their beliefs? It can be very challenging. And, and certainly traditional 12-steps programs has a whole lot of language that talks about God and they think organized religion. And for an atheist or an agnostic, that's not helpful. But going in and learning to do these steps with different languages, I believe, is key to long-term recovery from an addiction. How are you entering into that? How are you equipping individuals who are working to support recovery in ministry to be mindful of that? Our gathering that we're having this year in October, one of our keynote speakers is Ward Ewing, who has been working with the atheists and agnostic groups within AA. And he has become the spiritual director for the atheists and the agnostics. And he's going to help share with us how that happens and how, for somebody who doesn't believe in a deity, how you can get to a state of spiritual grace. You know, there are faith traditions that do not have a deity. Sure. Lots of them. Lots of traditions, particularly outside the Abrahamic traditions. The two keynote presenters that you have this year, you mentioned one, the Reverend Ward Ewing, but then you also have Rabbi Rami M. Shapiro. Yes. Two keynotes are not actually from your tradition. So is this something that those who are coming are looking to hear is how to reach out to those who are not rooted in the same faith? The fundamental purpose of a faith tradition is to help other people on their path. To me, it's a sick tradition that says, you've got to believe it the way I believe it. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get there. Our goal is not to make everybody Episcopalian. Our goal is to help people on their own faith journey, whatever that might be. 
we have a lot of common touch points, common ideas that help us and inform us in our own spiritual journeys. But our challenge, our mission is not to define the path, but to help them as they walk. Mm. That is a very inclusive way of approaching and viewing the role of ministering. Yes, and our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, says it so well. He says it's about love. It's about sharing your love with others, and it's about loving your neighbor. There are lots of different religious groups that are addressing addiction, and there are multiple ones that use it as a tool to evangelize or proselytize. So the radar is always up for us when we're partnering with someone else. Are you there to help? Are you there to make converts? It presents in a very different sort of way. Uh, And yes, the average Joe on the street says, oh, you're offering help, but what's the catch? Mm. That exchange that you described can be a barrier for getting help if you look around and you see that so many of the recovery programs, and I'm thinking particularly of um, programs that follow the AA program, are hosted in houses of worship. I think 12-step meetings are found in churches because churches uh, see the value of 12-step recovery, and so they give them space at a reduced rate. And uh, there are certainly other places where they can meet, but not many that are nearly as private Mm. or as inexpensive. There's over 200 different groups that use the same 12 steps with some modification. They also have traditions, which also most of the groups have adopted. And one of them is, is they have no affiliation with any other organization. So AA is not affiliated with any organization, NA, Al-Anon, Alateen, you name it. They're not affiliated with a religious organization in any way. When this program was first being developed, uh, the language was such that religion and God and, and all of that was inherent you know, the assumption was the alcoholic was a man and the spouse was the uh, codependent. We know today that that's certainly not uh, universal at all. And the program has evolved. Yes, but there are huge language barriers. What gets people over those barriers is desperation. So despite the fact that it's in the basement of a church, despite the fact that these people talk about God all the time, and I don't believe in God, but if you're desperate enough to get out of the uh, the pit of hell that you found yourself in, you're willing to try even this. I want to pull the thread on that. But there was some news and headlines that came out a few weeks ago about the scale of addiction, the number of people who are turning to alcohol during these uncertain times in which there is a lot of fear, there is a lot of loss. And I am wondering what you have seen and what your reactions uh, are to where we are now in the face of this pandemic. Hopelessness is going up. The, The being isolated and being alone People are turning to their addiction. One way of looking at it is is we have this hole that needs to be filled. 
and we can fill it with a lot of different things. And, and if you fill that hole with alcohol or with a drug, it's a God-sized hole. There's a sense within each of us, I believe, that we're not complete on our own. Alone, we cannot do this. That there's an important we aspect of this, so something greater than self. This pandemic has forced people into isolation. So, yes, we've seen um, a large increase in opioid addiction and in alcoholism rates. And it's an interesting thing when they shut down everything except for the grocery stores and the liquor stores. (laughs) The liquor stores didn't close down. Mm. They allowed the local bars to send out the alcohol in takeout containers. Because there was like, I have nothing else to do. And how we're reaching out to people has changed. In Covering Ministries, we started a virtual meeting. And it's a place for people to gather and talk, even though you're isolated alone in your own home. And the Recovery Ministries reaches out to those people that are hurting, that are desperate to say there is hope. There is a way that you can get to a spiritual way of life that will fill that hole within and make you see that it's service to others that fulfillment is found. It's not in getting what you want. You know, as I hear you describe in this moment that we're in, it's reminding me of a conversation I had with a good friend a couple days ago who is a therapist. And she's exhausted. She shared with me how she herself is feeling like she's on the verge of burning out, carrying so many stories and becoming so intimately familiar with the depths of despair and frustration and loneliness and grief and mourning. And I... The gathering that you have coming up, will there be a place for providers, for those who are in that role of leading, for addressing that challenge as well? You know, who feeds the the, the, the people that are helping others? Who helps the counselors? Where do they go? Um, the same is true with clergy. The clergy's role is to help other people, but who helps the clergy? In the mainline churches, there's been um, a real dropout rate of priests burning out, ministers burning out and giving up, and and they can't do it. They can't keep it up. There's so much pain out there, and it's exacerbated by the COVID pandemic that's isolating people. So this gathering, one of the things is to come together and feed each other. We'll we'll gather together in prayer. We'll gather together with a worship. We'll gather together in in 12-step meetings, and we'll share, and we'll feed each other, nurture each other, and say, it's okay. Our role is not to save the world. That's not our job. Our job is to help have that hand out there for the next person that's looking for another way out. Steve Lane is the president of Recovery Ministries of the Episcopal Church. He is a certified spiritual counselor and serves as the priest in charge of St. Philip's Episcopal Church in Buffalo, New York. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us.
Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 